Good evening. It's good to see you all here at this uh, Good Friday service, where we're going to be reflecting on, praying, singing, worshiping, but all around the theme of the cross, because that's what this is all about. And so I think it would be appropriate for us uh, to take a moment and just quiet our hearts, settle our minds, put the issues of the day aside, and just sit in silence for a moment and be thinking about the cross and what that means as we get ready to enter into this uh, time of, of worship and adoration to our Savior. Again, welcome to our Good Friday service. We aspire to live in the power of the resurrection and aspire to live a crucified life every day of our life. But it is appropriate to once a year take a special time out around this time of year and to focus more particularly and maybe more penetratingly on what the cross means. This is the center of history, the central event that defines everything else. It is the meaning of, of our existence. And so what we're going to do tonight is just this. I'm going to set it up with a little reflection. Uh, and then we're going to go into several responsive readings, something we don't do a lot of around here, uh, but sort of liturgical readings followed by kind of a meditative song. And we'll have several of those. And then we'll uh, break bread and share the Lord's Supper and end with uh, another time of worship. When I was in grad school, I spent a little bit of time working in a, a home for uh, emotionally and psychologically disturbed teenagers. And um, it was an interesting time for me. For about a year, I was at this house, and, and one of the young men at this house, his name was Al, uh, he was just a cruel, vicious, mean young man. Uh, part of his illness was he liked to inflict pain, and he tortured everything from bugs to animals to some of his peers when he got a chance. He was in this home, this 
home for emotionally disturbed kids because uh, he had stabbed somebody in school for making some kind of comment about him. And fortunately, the other man didn't die, but it did land him in this, this halfway house for disturbed uh, teenagers. The thing that's interesting about Alan was that, that uh, he saw himself as a pretty good guy. That was sort of his self-assessment. He thought he was better than average. He tended to you know, really criticize other people uh, for not measuring up. If he did the, light, the, the, the slightest thing on behalf of another person, you heard about it for weeks. He thought he was very altruistic. I remember there was one time where we heard about him graciously letting another person in the room decide what channel they wanted to watch. And we heard about this for the next couple of weeks, about how magnanimous it was that Alan let this boy uh, watch his show rather than insisting on getting it his way. And whenever he got punished for any of his behavior, he always felt, and I think it was genuine, he felt like it was out of proportion, like what he had done was not that bad. And so he always felt like he was being, being treated unfairly. Now, Alan's case is a little bit extreme, for sure, but what it, I think, demonstrates is that how we feel about ourselves is completely dependent on what standard of measurement we have inside of our head, what kind of scale we have between our ears. What Alan also demonstrates is that our scales can be very askewed. They can be very uh, jaded. They may have nothing to do with reality. Uh, this point was, I think, made rather clear uh, in a study that was done in the mid-90s. Uh, it examined 12 different countries, and it took uh, eighth graders and examined their math test scores over and against how they felt about how they did on their math test scores. And it turns out that American eighth graders did the poorest of the 12 countries that were studied, but they felt the best about it. They felt like they did really good. By contrast, the Japanese 8th graders did the best by far on the 8th grade math test, but they felt the poorest about it. They felt they could have and should have done better. And that just shows you the relativity of uh, the scales between our ears by which we assess how we feel about ourselves. In this culture, which so emphasizes self-esteem and feeling good about things, it doesn't take a lot for some people to feel pretty good about what they do, even if what they do is actually rather poor. Now, why this is important for us tonight is this. How we feel about what Jesus did for us on the cross completely depends on how we feel about ourselves apart from Jesus. In other words, our appreciation for what the cross accomplishes will never outrun our awareness of how desperately we need that cross. Your appreciation for grace will never outrun your awareness of just where you'd be without grace. Paul says that where sin did increase, grace did increase all the more. And that's a wonderful and profound truth. But it won't mean a whole lot to the person who really doesn't think their sin was that severe. The shallower your understanding of sin, the shallower your understanding of grace is going to be. Now the issue that we face is that in our contemporary Western culture, and that's the background for the majority of us here, we are culturally conditioned to feel very good about ourselves. 
our internal scales are very skewed. In fact, these days we have almost completely lost any sense of sin or of evil. You don't hear the terms sin or evil used very much. It wasn't too long ago where that wasn't, those weren't just Christian categories. Those were part of the culture's categories. People knew what sin was and people knew what evil was. But now those categories are almost completely gone. We speak of ignorant mistakes, understandable mistakes, people who do wrong or who are misled. But our cultural default... And to some degree, we're all going to be conditioned and influenced by this to some degree. It's, it's that sin is not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And to the degree that we think it's not a big deal, well, the cross won't be a big deal. You harbor hatred in your life. You can't forgive. Well, everyone struggles with that. That's no big deal. You sleep around. You don't save yourself to marriage. Eh, that's what everyone does. Yeah, I think it's not ideal, but it's not that big of a deal. You look down and you judge others as though they're worse than you. It's not that big of a deal. Everyone does that. You neglect the poor. You hoard resources, you hoard food when there are those who don't have enough. Well, that's, that, we're in America. Everyone does that. It's not ideal, but it's not that big of a deal. You gossip about people. Who doesn't do that? You go throughout the day and you forget about God 99% of the time. Uh, your thought and your consciousness and your life is as a functional atheist, but at least you include him a little bit in the morning perhaps and a little bit at night, and that's more than most people do, so uh, it's not that big of a deal that we push God out of our awareness most of the time. You don't trust God, you rather trust your 401k or your ability to make money and store things. Uh, everyone does that, that's kind of the way our culture operates. It's maybe not ideal, but it's not that big of a deal. You cheat now and then, maybe on your taxes. Your words don't always say the exact truth. Who doesn't do that? That's not a big deal. Yeah, maybe it's not ideal, but it's normal, right? And we're all human, right? And see, with that mindset, if we think it through consistently, we really don't believe we need a Savior. Because we're not perfect, but we're pretty doggone good. Now, we may believe that we need a Savior because we're taught we need a Savior and we've got reasons to believe that is true, and that's a good thing, but it really doesn't land with us, for a lot of us anyways. It doesn't land with us because we don't really see what the big deal was all about. Alan's misjudgment about himself was a sign of just how sick he was. He was, if not a, a sociopath, he was close to it. And the fact that he felt so good about himself was a sign of his sickness. And I submit to you, so is ours. We feel pretty good about ourselves, but it's just evidence of just how deluded, how oppressed we actually are. Because the truth is, Alan was profoundly sick. He did very evil things. He was an immoral young man. And he was, in his life, heading towards, I'm quite convinced, either life in prison or possibly death. But he had no clue of that. That wasn't on his radar screen. We are in very much the same situation. But we don't see it. And that's just evidence of how profoundly sick, as a race, we tend to be. Were it not for the cross, the Bible tells us, we would be in bondage to the devil. But we don't feel like we are. 
We're at, the Bible says, at war with God. The Bible says we're dead, dead in our sin. But we don't feel like we are. Apart from the cross, we are headed for destruction. Separation from God, the source of all life. Gehenna, the Bible says, the word translated hell, that's our destiny, but it didn't feel that serious to us. But that is the biblical truth. The truth is that our only hope is Jesus Christ. And were it not for Jesus Christ, we would be forever in bondage to the enemy. We would be at, forever at war with God, dead in our sins, and headed for destruction. This perfect act of self-sacrificial love, of God becoming a human being and taking upon himself the consequences of our sin, this selfless act of love dealt a death blow to evil in the cosmos and a death blow to Satan. And it was this act of perfect love that's in the process of eradicating evil from our life. We would be lost without it. And this perfect act of self-sacrificial love is the beautiful means by which God, through the working of the Holy Spirit inside of us, draws us close to himself. He puts his beauty on display, his, his unfathomable love on display to win our hearts and draw us close to him. But we can only appreciate this beauty and this grace to the extent that we appreciate how lost we would be without it. So tonight, I want our prayer to be that the Holy Spirit will help us deepen our appreciation of the gravity of our sin. Not to get morbid, morose, or anything of the sort, but in order to deepen our gratitude for what Jesus did for us and our love for him in response to what he's done for us. And so I'm going to lead us here in some responsive readings. There'll be three. Uh, the church has always understood throughout its long tradition that, that um, one of the ways that, that, that we become aware of the gravity of our sin is by confessing it. And so throughout church history, they, they've, they've put confession as one of the primary disciplines. That's one of the things we've, we've lost along the way. And confession of sin can occur in a number of contexts. It can occur just between an individual and God. It can occur and should occur between individuals when something has gone wrong in the relationship as a means of restoring the relationship. But it can also occur in a corporate context. And when we confess sin in a corporate context, none of us will be guilty of all the things we confess, but it's a way of saying we are in solidarity with one another. And just as we all share a common grace, we all share the common burden of sin. In some ways, as the body, when one hurts, we all hurt, and when one has fallen, we're all fallen, and so we confess this together. And so I'm going to lead us here on, on three different uh, responsive readings. The first will focus particularly on our sin. The second will focus on the way that uh, Jesus pays for our sin and bears our sin. And the third we'll see will, is a collection of scriptures that uh, simply uh, talk about and display uh, the beauty of God and what he's done in response to our sin and how he is worthy of all of our praise and adoration. So before I begin the reading, let me pray. Lord, free us from the cultural strongholds that most definitely afflict all of us to some degree. That we might accurately feel the weight the weight, the gravity of our sin. That we might turn from it 
And that we might, Lord, grow in our appreciation for just how beautiful you are. An appreciation of what you have done for us to free us from the bondage that we were under. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. On all of these, I'll read the uh, first part, and then the congregation will respond by reading the uh, phrase in white. Merciful Savior, as your people, we confess that we've often minimized the gravity of our sin and have often taken your grace for granted. We confess our sins and ask your mercy. Wake us up, O God, to clearly see the destructive force and share your holy hatred for our sin. Help us, O Lord, to turn from everything that separates us from you, to receive your forgiveness and to experience the unfathomable depth of your mercy and love. Turn our hearts to you, O gracious For the times we have failed to love others as you have loved us, we confess our sins and ask your mercy. For the times we failed to give you shelter when you were homeless or provide clothing for you when you were cold and naked. We confess our sins and ask your mercy. For the times we failed to befriend you when you were friendless or visit you when you were alone and in prison. We confess our sins and ask your mercy. For the many ways we have conformed to the ideals of our culture instead of to your perfect will. Confess our sin and ask your mercy. For allowing our lives to become cluttered with things that don't eternally matter. And for putting our trust in possessions, savings, and retirement plans rather than in you. Confess our sin and ask your mercy. For entertaining thoughts of others and engaging in actions toward others that did not express the truth that you thought them worth dying for. We confess our sin and ask your mercy. For failing to seek first the kingdom and trust Abba Father for all our needs. We confess our sin and ask your mercy. For the many moments we blocked you from our, our awareness failing to remember that in you we move and live and have our being. We confess our sins and ask your mercy. For cheapening the gift of our sexuality by expressing it outside the marriage covenant. And for times we have taken what was not ours and for being dishonest with our words. We confess our sins and ask your mercy. For failing to forgive as you forgive us for harboring grudges and for thinking and speaking unkind words to and about others. We confess our sins and ask your mercy. For allowing ourselves to be degraded by and enslaved to chemical and sexual addictions and for failing to walk in the freedom for which you sacrificed. We confess our sin and ask your mercy, O Lord. As your people, O Lord, we confess that each and every one of our sins have pierced your heart anew and would eternally separate us from you, the source of all life and joy, were it not for your loving mercy. For your love and mercy, we give thanks.
Our second responsive reading is centered on Isaiah 53, and it focuses on the pain that our sin causes our Lord, but how our Lord was graciously and lovingly willing to bear that. So Lord, as we confess this together, deepen our awareness of our sin in order to deepen our appreciation for your grace and your beauty. Merciful Savior, as your people, we confess that we have willfully rejected your rightful authority, scorned your loving kindness, and inflicted great pain on your heart. Have mercy for us, As your people, we confess that our rebellion placed us under the destructive stronghold of Satan and that were it not for your incomprehensible love and grace, we would be there still. We acknowledge that the cross you carried bore the weight of our sin. We acknowledge that the beating you suffered was the abuse our sin inflicts upon you. We acknowledge that the shame you bore was the shame we deserved. And the death you was For our sake, O oh Lord, you were a man despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Surely you took up our pain and bore our suffering. You were pierced for our transgressions. You were crushed for our iniquities. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. You were oppressed and afflicted, yet you did not open your mouth. Forgive us, Lord, for the pain that we have caused you. Lord, deepen our awareness of how lost we would be without you, to deepen our appreciation and perception of you and all of your beauty and all of your grace. This third set of readings are, are just very scriptures that speak of the love of God demonstrated on Calvary and what it means to us and what it ought to mean in terms of our response to, to him. That because of what he's done for us, he is worthy of all of our life, all of our adoration and all of our praise. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God members of every tribe and language and people and nation. Because of your unconditional love, unfathomable mercy, and never-ending grace. We proclaim that you are worthy. Because your love has defeated all evil and removed our transgression. We proclaim you are worthy. Because you, has, you have cast off our sin as far as the east is from the west. We proclaim you are worthy. Because you are the source of all life, joy, peace, and power. We proclaim because you are the beauty in all that is beautiful and the goodness in all that is good. Because you are King of kings and Lord of all lords. Because you are God 
who for our sakes became man, the righteous one who for our sakes became sin, the blessed one who for our sakes became a curse, the living one who for our sakes endured death, the exalted one who for our sakes experienced shame. We proclaim that you are worthy. You are worthy, O Lord. 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 Hallelujah. 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 He is worthy. Hallelujah. He is worthy. Hallelujah. He is worthy. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, sear that truth into our lives right now. Yes, Lord. Mm. Burned past whatever calluses and blindness and obstacles and rebellion might keep any of us from proclaiming that. You are worthy. Bless your name. You are worthy. Bless your name, Jesus. You are worthy. Bless your name, Jesus. Source of all beauty, source of all life, source Bless of all name. that is good, source of all that is true, Bless your name, source of all that is lovely, source of all grace and all mercy. Mm. He's the source of it all. Bless your name, mm. God, you wrap your arms around us. You just breathe life into us when we didn't deserve it, when we couldn't have deserved it less, when we were running in the opposite direction, when we were dead in our sins. When we were lost, when we were destined for a destruction that we were too dull to even notice, God, you came and you rescued us. You are worthy. You showered love on us. You are worthy. Your grace envelops us. You are worthy. Hallelujah. Your beauty just transforms us. You are worthy, Lord God. You're worthy of all of our heart and all of our life and all of our commitment, our mind, our time, every breath we breathe and every thought we think. You are worthy, Lord God, to invite us in on your life to share with you throughout eternity the glory of the triune God. When we were in mud and muck and mire and rebellion, God, you dove into that and took it on yourself for us. You are worthy. You are worthy. He is worthy, amen? He is worthy. I can't stop saying it. He's worthy. Praise God. Praise God. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. We're going to continue to worship God. Let his spirit saturate you. Open up your eyes and ears to get it deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Aware of how little we deserved it, how lost we would be without him, but how magnificent his love and grace is. The God of this universe diving into this little planet in the deepest hell we could possibly create to rescue a people who didn't even want it. He is worthy. Let God just keep on, just soak us, just soak. I just feel like we're soak us. Let, let it soak, let it soak. And let's start to reflect this back. As we do this, I'd like the ushers to come forward. And uh, we'll worship the Lord by taking up an offering. And after this, we'll set the stage for communion. He is worthy. There is no greater love, none that you could ever conceive of. That would come close to what is expressed and what we're celebrating tonight. And to get a glimpse of that, the beauty of that, uh, if you can see uh, just a glimmer of, of who God is, is revealed in what he's done for us, 
in our situation, you know, you just know in that moment, you know that this is why you were created. This is the purpose for everything. Uh, this defines everything. This is what it's all about. Uh, God is this beautiful. And uh, he's in search of a bride. And he's acquired us. And all he says is open yourselves up and be transformed by this beauty. The way that we commemorate this is through the Lord's Supper. And we have open communion here, so we invite everyone who's a believer to be a part of this. All it's about is reflecting on, in accordance with the design that Jesus gave us, the meaning of his death. They were sitting down for dinner. He gathered his disciples around him. Communion is a communion thing. It's for the community. He took the bread that he had. It was just ordinary bread. And he broke it in two. And he said, this is my body, which is to be broken for you. And so when you take this bread and eat it, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. My body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup that they were going to drink, just an ordinary cup. And he lifted it up and gave thanks and then said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, for this cup is my blood, which is to be shed for you. And so when you take this cup and drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. God's grace is free, but it costs everything. Because love costs everything. He poured himself completely out. And that's what the cross is all about. There is nothing he could have done more than what he did. He went to the furthest, furthest extreme to save us. Couldn't go any further. He who was all holy took on sin. That is as extreme as it could get in order that we who were burdened in the quagmire of sin could take on his righteousness. That, folks, is beautiful. And so we're going to take communion. And, and I, I want to just open this up. I really feel like the, the God's presence is here in a beautiful way. And, and so we're not going to put any kind of structure really around this. Um, it, it, there's tables on the side of, of the auditorium in, in your sections. And when you feel you want to, uh, just go over and uh, take some of the bread. And if you want to go with, with others in your family or a small group of friends, you can do that. And just dip it in uh, the cup. Um, and we have uh, on the right side of every table, there's grape juice. On the left side, there's wine. Uh, people come from different traditions, and so they're, they're both there. Doesn't matter. But as you do this, be thinking of the body which was broken, pierced, had nails driven into it, and the blood that was shed, poured out, out of love for you. Every drop is an expression of love for us. If you want to come up and kneel down as we're worshiping the Lord, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, if you want to kneel where you're at, if you want to stand, fine. If you want to sit, it doesn't matter. But just pour yourself in to the God who has poured himself out for us. Because, folks, he is worthy. He is worthy. Amen. There is a God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah.
I mean, do you really think that after leaving heaven, becoming a human being, a little baby, nine months in the womb, born, ministering among people, do you really think that then, after delivering himself up to Pilate and being scourged and beaten and mocked and the crown of thorns put on his head and a speared into his side, do you really think that after uh, getting nails, spikes put into his wrists and into his ankles and feeling the weight of all the sin of the world put on him, do you really think after all that, it's going to ever let you go? <laughs> uh, his love is beyond what we can fathom. He's, it's pure beauty, the beauty of all beauty, the love of all loves. Praise God. Uh, it's okay to cheat a little bit on Good Friday and at the end, have a little bit of Easter percolate over because we do know what's coming. So that, that's why we, you know, it, it's an okay thing. The cross and the resurrection go together. The band's going to continue to pray and, uh, I mean, to, to, to lead in some worship. If you want to stay and just saturate, just soak in. You know, there comes a point where words can't do it. You just got to, you just got to breathe. Just breathe. Just keep breathing. Just breathe it in. And if you're at one of those saturation things, maybe you're seeing it better than you've ever seen it before. Don't leave. Don't disturb that. Breathe it in. As you leave, then breathe it in, but also uh, breathe it out. And, 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 and love on people. Love on people out in the gathering area when you're driving home tonight. Whatever you're doing tomorrow, just, just breathe in that love and breathe out that love. That pretty much sums up what it's all about. And um, it's all about Calvary. If you would like to come forward and kneel uh, and, and pray a little bit, feel free to do that. There'll be some prayer, a, a prayer team over on the side. If you would like to have, pray with some folks, uh, they'll be there. Otherwise, Lord, we just praise you for being the beautiful God that you are, for going to this magnificent extreme to rescue us from a hopeless situation. God, Holy Spirit, help us never to take that for granted, never to minimize it, never to cheapen it, never to make it into something casual. God, help us to always be aware of, of God, where we'd be without you, because your beauty shines forth in the way that you love us and rescue us when we didn't deserve it, Lord God. Hold us, Lord God, and help us to know that we're hold and fill us with your love. Transform us by your grace as we leave this place to spread your love in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. See you on Easter.